Good morning. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week in John chapter 5, starting in verse 16. While you're turning in there, I'll introduce myself. My name is Ethan Trokey. You guys might know my wife, Julia, or my kids, Harrison and Parker. And we're just so glad to be a part of Freshwater. So that was John chapter 5, verse 16, starting in the middle of a section there, and we'll read through verse 29. Verse 16 says, And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but was he, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as a father raises the dead and gives him life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but he's given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son, just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, for whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, as now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as a father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of the life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, ma'am. Well, good morning. You guys ready? I'm ready. Um, hey, if you don't know me, my name is JT. I'm one of the pastors here at Freshwater. Brandon sitting right there is our other pastor. And as Tony said, he's our elder candidate. He's moving towards eldership um, right now. So if I haven't met you, I would love to meet you. If you're kind of wondering what the heck is an elder, if you've ever heard that phrase in scripture, elder just means pastor. It means shepherd. It's kind of all the same word. It's just used different ways in different places. I think I've said this three or four times from the front, but I remember one time someone said elder sounds like a cult. Um, we are not a cult. Um, we love Jesus and we love the Bible. Um, it's just a word that, that, that scripture uses so that we, we use it. Paul says, appoint elders in all the towns that you go to so that they may lead the people. And so we use elder, pastor, interchangeable here. But either way, I'm one of your pastors and um, please come find me after the service if you have any questions at all. And so before we jump in, I just want to um, remind everyone or if you haven't heard it from a while that, um, that the move to Williams is coming up soon. Did you? So as far as we know, if you haven't heard this yet, we're going. If SPS changes their mind or we can't sign, we haven't officially signed the contract, but 
Um, the principal, Miss Dessa, if you, have, you don't know Miss Dessa, she is super excited about us coming there. Mrs. Hoff and the other leaders, they're so excited to have us back. So they're fully on board. I talked to SPS on the phone. They said that, yeah, there shouldn't be any problems as long as the school's on board, everything should be good. So we're looking right now, we haven't locked in a date yet because we want to work with SPS, but we're looking at like the 1st of March is when we're going to go. Um, so that's, that, I don't know if that seems like a long time away, but I'll tell you, my two-month sabbatical went by like that. So that's going to be right around the corner. And so before we go, we want to make sure we have our ducks in a row. Um, not to shoot them, Ethan. Um, that's not what I meant. So he went duck hunting yesterday. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> ADD, stay focused. Uh, so we're going to go um, to Williams at the 1st of March. One of the reasons we're waiting about three months is because we want to um, really plan ahead for his kids in particular. So they, for the, for the tech team in particular, so they're not super stressed out because it's going to be the most stressful for them, followed up by the worship team. They're going to have to figure some things out. So we may need to buy a trailer and, and some other things. But, but here, here's the deal with Williams. If, um, I'm going to say things like this multiple times over the next three months. If you're like the Reynolds or the Trokies or, or, or Aaron or some other people, Jeff, or some other people in the room that have been here from the beginning, the Sheltons, um, you know how much we loved Williams. And it was a 100-year-old school, and it was way too crowded, and it didn't serve our needs at all, and we were deeply in love with it. It was just, you, do you know why? If you're, if you're newer to Freshwater, um, let, let me kind of ex just give you a little bit of a recap of where we've been as a church family. We planted this church for Northwest Springfield. We planted this church in particular for Tom Watkins' neighborhood, which is basically Kearney and Kansas to West Bypass, right? Because we, we had families like the Reynolds who were driving to go to church in Bolivar, and we started a life group in Northwest Springfield because they lived up here. And by the time we tried to start that life group, we had 30 people that wanted to be involved. And we we're like, I guess we're supposed to plant a church. And then we started looking around at Tom Watkins' neighborhood in particular, and we couldn't find one church that was actively engaged in the community. I know there are churches all over Springfield. We never actually, I never wanted to plant a church in Springfield. There's so many churches in Springfield, right? But in the northwest side, in Tom Watkins' neighborhood, it is a great neighborhood in so many ways, but in other ways, it is full of darkness. Lots of abuse, lots of, lots of, of drug addiction, lots of, uh, man, just violence and all kinds of things. When it comes to, if you look at lists of, of neighborhoods that have like the highest 911 calls and the highest calls to the police and poverty rates and teen pregnancy rates, Tom Watkins is always in the top three on all of them. It's either one, two, or three on all of the lists for all of the things. And that doesn't make it a bad neighborhood. It means it's a neighborhood that needs some love and it needs who better to love it than Christ's church, right? That's what we're supposed to do, bring light. And so from the beginning, our mission has always been, we're going to, first and foremost, we're here to glorify God, to give everything in worship to our King, every part of our life. So it must start with us. It must start in your heart and our heart. Listen, it must start in your family, at your workplaces, where you go, in your lives, in your circle. It's got to start there. It doesn't start in Tom Watkins' neighborhood for any of us here. And so if you're newer to Freshwater and you don't know anything about Tom Watkins and you're like, well, we're at Tom Watkins Church and I've never been, even been in the neighborhood. Hey, be patient. You'll see it. You'll fall in love with it over time. That takes time, right? But it has to start in our own lives. Glorify God with everything in you in your life. But then the second part of who we are is advance the gospel. We want to leave these walls. We want to leave our normal circles to go be missionaries. And so we're going to start sending missionaries again overseas and not too longer. But there's a mission field right here in Springfield. That, that's full of lost people. That's full of people trapped in generational darkness. That's why we want to go back to Williams. Not because, don't, hey, for those of us that have been around forever, let's not romanticize what we had at Williams. It was amazing and it was really difficult too. It's difficult not to have your own place. 
It's difficult to be crowded in like this, where new people come in, and they have to like move through people like this, and new people feel really uncomfortable. Williams was a huge blessing, but we also had we had major problems there too that had to be solved. So we're not going back to Williams because it's the answer to all of our problems. We're going back to Williams because there is no community center in Williams. There's no building for gathering in Williams. So Williams is the heart of the neighborhood. And if we truly want to engage the poor, you know, there's 2,000 verses about loving the poor and the needy and the orphan and the fatherless in scripture. And if we want to engage in that, there's no better place in our cities than Tom Watkins' neighborhood to engage in the mission that God gave us to advance the gospel, but as we speak the gospel, to use our hands and feet to literally love people practically, that's what we're supposed to do. And that's what Williams is about. It's not some romantic idea, or it's, and it's not the answer to all of our problems. It is a place that is centrally focused where we want to be. And if you've been here for any amount of time, you know ever since we left Williams, it's not quite been the same. It's just harder. We're not there. So we're already strategically planning for next year, like we're, we're getting back to block parties. We want to get back to centering things around houses like, like Preston and Lydia's house and like TJ and Kayla's house. I'm not, I'm not putting anything on you, right? No pressure. But like, um, we, we, like Denver and Maria's house, we want to have more things in the neighborhood. We're going to start doing block parties again in the neighborhood. And not only going to do block parties and things with Williams, but then we're going to have a block party on a, like, on a Wednesday and then have church in the park on a Sunday. So people, it's a natural transition. But you know, we can, all, we can say to people now at block parties, oh yeah, uh, on, on a Wednesday, oh yeah, you know that we meet in Williams? You know where your kids go to school? Just come on over. Williams is a non-threatening place for non-church people. Do we want to be a church full of church people? Or do we want to be a church that reaches people that should be church people? When I say church people, I mean the family of God, the bride of Christ. This is why we're going back to Williams. If you have any questions about that or you don't fully understand, please come talk to me. I've got, I've got plenty of passion about this one. I'd be happy to talk about it more, right? We don't have time, more time today. So let me transition to why I'm bringing this up today. Cookies and Cocoa is next Saturday. Cookies and Cocoa is a time where Victory Mission comes in and partners with us. They cook a meal for three or 400 people. Give it to us for free. And we have a big family meal with the neighborhood. And the turnout, I don't know, this is our first time really post-COVID, right? I don't know how this is going to go. In the past, we have gotten three, four, five hundred people to come for this meal, and we set up tables, and we sit down with people, and we engage with our neighbors, and we get to know them with the goal of building relationships so that we might love them well, share the gospel with them, and eventually welcome them into this family. Listen, this is not a recruiting tool for freshwater. I don't care about having a big church. I care about people hearing the gospel coming into the family of God, and we'll teach them the Bible here. We'll teach them about Jesus here. And so cookies and cocoa, we want to really get away. We want to really be careful about just going and doing good church things so we feel good about ourselves. That's not why we're here. We need to do good things, but we do good things so that we might be able to share the gospel. So we might build relationships with people and they come to know Jesus. And cookies and cocoa is a tool. We have not been able to be in that school for a year and a half. Cookies and cocoa is really our first opportunity. So I know it's only a week away. I know it's Christmas. I know a lot of you have plans and it makes it difficult, but next Saturday, right? I get that right? Next Saturday, it's cookies and cocoa. It is is a way for us to step back into the community. We have no idea how it's going to go, but if you don't show up, it's not going to go well at all. And we need volunteers. At the end, Brandon's going to do an official announcement. He's going to tell you exactly what we need. Like right now, I know we need five food servers. That is the easiest job there is. You're welcome. You're welcome. That's what we need. That's what we need. But we have other jobs too. A lot of you have volunteered. We got a lot of volunteers. We need more. But honestly, we just need you in the building. Williams needs to be reminded how much we love them. The community needs to be reminded how much we love them. They've forgotten. It's been a year and a half. When we planted this church, I said, hey, listen, I I love you and I want you to be here. But if you're not in on the mission that we're going for, I just want you to question whether you're supposed to be here or not. Does that sound too blunt? 
We, we don't want to be a church full of attenders. I don't want that because that's not what Scripture teaches. We're to be a family that, that builds up for the glory of God here. We, we grow in the glory of God here, and we take it out to be a light to wherever we go, right? And so we have a place where we go. We, we can go, and I want you to serve, and I want you to go, and I want you to be on board. And for some of you, again, if you're newer or you haven't done this in a year and a half, it takes time to get there. But I said from the beginning, we are committed to this neighborhood generationally. Do you, think, do you think we break the cycle of generational poverty and sin and darkness in some families in two years or even five years? No, they've, it's been built into them for 70 years. And generational poverty, generational darkness, generational sin is a real thing. And so we have to be committed to this long term. So church, honestly, I feel like we're going to probably go back to like year one or year two in our relationship with the neighborhood. But we're committed. We're going to go. And so I'm going to stop with cookies and cocoa, but I want you to feel the vision of who we are. I want you to feel the vision of, man, we're done with COVID. Like COVID's going to stay hanging around. We're just going to go, right? We'll be careful where we need to, but we're going to go and we're going to engage because the gospel is just too important. There's too much darkness. And I think the darkness has gotten heavier in the last year and a half because people haven't disengaged from everything. So we're going to go and it's going to start with cookies and cocoa and it's going to run into next year. We have a planning meeting on January 9th for all of our leaders to plan out all next year. Could you pray for that? Could you pray for vision as we plan things? We want to start very strategically plotting things along the way so they'll, they'll all measure up, they'll all work together to, to get more engagements, more engagements with people. We want more people eventually to move in the neighborhood. We want more people to do what Mark and Jill are doing, like inviting people from the community around them in the, into their house for a Bible study, into their house for a life group, like those kind of things becoming more and more normal. It's the kind of things that we all, we all do together. You with me? Am I making sense? Like, listen, the community desperately needs us. And there's not other people reaching in. And I'm not saying it's all on us, but even other things that we had before, like the Tom Watkins Neighborhood Association, almost all the neighborhood associations collapsed over the last year and a half during COVID. Like the Tom Watkins Neighborhood Association doesn't really exist anymore. We got to rebuild it. Community partnerships at the Ozarks, they used to really kind of run those things and they partner with the schools and they partner with the neighborhood. Since COVID happened, they don't do that anymore. So even a lot of the partners that were there before aren't there before. If we don't go, who's going to go? If we don't engage, who's going to engage? So I want you to pray for your own heart too. Because I know like a lot of you don't live on the northwest side of Springfield, but you're here and you're part of our family. I want you to pray that God would give you a heart to go, to engage, and to get out of this funk that we've been in that, that just wants us to stay home and, and kind of lock everything in and for us to open the floodgates again and engage. Amen? i got to stop, man. I was going to go for like two minutes. I'm... Okay. Amen. Let's go home. We don't have any more time. No. Okay. Um, all right. So let's get into what we're getting into today. Um, happy Advent season, church. Um, it's Advent season. We haven't really talked about it yet. So for those of, that, of you that don't know, we're kind of new to this whole church thing. Advent just means the arrival or the coming. And the arrival and the coming of, of who? Not a trick question. Jesus, right? Like this is Christmas, right? Advent, Christmas, the coming, the arrival of our King, of our, of our Savior, of our God who has come for us. We're celebrating the fact. We got to stop back and step back and just really think about Christmas is the time where we think about how, how Jesus, who is God, came to be born in the likeness of men to take on all of our weakness, all of our frailty, all of the temptation, all of, all of the the difficult things so that he could lead us, so that he could teach us, so that he could heal us, so that he could bring his kingdom to earth, his kingdom that was inaugurated by his life, his death, his resurrection, and his eventual ascension to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords at the right hand of God. This is the time that we celebrate what God was actually accomplishing with the birth of Jesus in that manger in Bethlehem. And so 
What we normally do this time of year is we take a break from our series, whatever series we're in. But here's the thing. We're going to do things a little differently this year um, because I don't know if you've picked up on this. We are in one of the most Christ-centered books in all of the Bible right now. Can anybody guess which one it is? John. I mean, it might, it might be the most Christ-centric book in all of the Bible. And the whole focus of this gospel is that we would know and believe. If you, if you don't remember, let's go back and look at it real quick. Can we get that? James, can we get that verse on the board? James? James? There you go. Hey, James 20, 31. This, this, John tells us what this book is about right here. But these are written, the, the, the Bible, this gospel was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, by knowing you may have life in his name, that we might know and that we might believe and in that have life. This is what the Advent is really about, isn't it? That God came to be born in the likeness of men so that we might truly know him and through knowing Jesus Christ that we might believe in him and have eternal life. And so instead of like taking a break for Advent, we're going to celebrate Advent in the book of John, which is all about Jesus. So we're just going to move forward in John today. But considering it's Advent season, before we jump back into John, which we'll do in just a second, I want to read one of the most popular passages around the Advent, um, around this whole season. It's a prophecy written by the prophet Isaiah about 700 years before Jesus Christ was born. And so I just want you to, don't read it quite yet. Like, let me give you context. I want you to remember 700 years before Christ was born. I always try to get us to, to remember, like, how long ago was 700 years from us right now? The 1300s? Is my math good? Right? 1300s, right? 1300s. That's how long before this prophecy from Isaiah was written about the Messiah. Think about that for a second. This is how long these people have been waiting. This is how long, longer than this even, that they had prophecies about who their Messiah, who their king would be. So let's read it together, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So what we're going to see today in, in John chapter 5 is, is basically Jesus proclaiming that he is the answer to this prophecy. That he is the answer to all Old Testament prophecies. But I picked this one today because I want you to try to see it. I want you to see that really he's saying that I am the child that the, with the government on his shoulders. When he says government, he, he literally means all authority. With all authority on his shoulders. He, he is the one that came in the, in the line of the king, kingdom of David. The kingdom that will have no end. He is the king of righteousness. He is the king of justice who will rule forevermore. If you see that passage and then you read our passage today, you'll see that Jesus, this is, these are the things that Jesus is proclaiming. Jesus is saying, I am these things. I am the answer to these things to anyone who has eyes to see and ears to hear it. So as we jump back into John, let me give you a little context. Ethan stepped back a few verses so we can have a little context from last week. But I said last week, our, our verse, our, our sermon was kind of part one of two parts. So if you remember what happened last week is Jesus healed a paralyzed man on the Sabbath. Healed him, and healed him so, so completely that he said, hey, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And because he did that, the Pharisees were furious with him. The religious leaders were furious with him to the point that they were beginning to persecute him, even wanting to kill him. Because, remember, because he healed a man who'd been paralyzed for 38 years. 
And because when that man stood up and didn't need his mat anymore because he could walk, the mat he had to lay on because he was paralyzed, he said, yeah, take your mat and go home. You don't need it anymore. They wanted to persecute Jesus for that. But it wasn't just that he was healing on the Sabbath and telling someone to pick up their mat because they, they can go home now on the Sabbath. It was that he was calling Jesus his father. It was that he was calling Jesus his father. Now, just to be clear, in the Old Testament, once in a while, the Jews would call God their father. It was actually pretty rare, but you see it a few times. But it was always in the context of the, the, the corporate gathering or corporate Israel, meaning that, that God is the father over Israel. He's the father over them all. Not a personal, intimate father. That was like blasphemy to them. So they even said that Jesus was calling God his father, which was making himself equal to God. And you might read that and like, why is him calling him father equal to God? Well, that's what we're going to get into, in, into today. But they knew, they knew right away that Jesus was using different wording. He was using wording that was very intimate, that was very personal. He was using language that said, I have a different relationship with God the father than anyone else does. And that was him putting himself above all, putting himself in equality with God. As if, as if th that simply wasn't enough for them, want, for them to want to kill him. What he said next in our passage today is going to absolutely seal it. So let's jump into it today. And as we go through it, remember, I want you to remember that prophecy from Isaiah and see if you can see how it's woven through the things that Jesus is saying today. So John 5, verse 16, we're going to read the first four verses. John chapter 5, verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, and Jesus says that sometimes, truly, truly, it means listen. What I'm about to say is absolutely true. Listen, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only, what he see, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. So Jesus not only claims to... to, to to call God his like actual literal father, which drove the Jews absolutely crazy. But um, he immediately starts making himself equal to God. He begins to make it clear what it means that he is equal to God. Here, here's what we see in this passage. Jesus begins his, his four, four statements. You with me? His four F-O-R statements. For God or for the son, whatever. So there's four, four statements that are all kind of declaring who he really is, declaring his divinity, declaring what it means to be equal with God. And the first statement is, for whatever the father does, the son does likewise. So Jesus is making it clear, if you read the passage, he makes it clear that he's subordinate to the father, right? He does what the father tells him to do, and he willingly does that. But in that, he also says, I can do whatever the father can do. Whatever the father can do, the son can do also. Even more so in his second four statement, claiming his deity, in verse 20, Jesus says, the father shows me all that he is doing. So what Jesus is saying to them is, look, not only do I know the Father's will, but I know, but I know, I know the Father's will, but I know the Father's will so completely, so thoroughly that um, I know his plans perfectly. We are so close, hear me, we are so close that when I do things, I do the Father's will. 
When I choose to do things, I am doing the Father's will. It is the same thing. Now, we hear that, but again, imagine you're one of these religious leaders that doesn't believe in Jesus, that thinks he's, he's off his rocker or whatever else, and he says basically that, um, I, I submit to the Father and whatever he says, but I know the Father so well and he knows me so well that whatever I choose to do is the Father's will because, I'm, because I do it perfectly, because I perfectly know what he's doing. I, I perfectly know his ways, that whatever I do is what the Father would do. Can you imagine how that would land, how that would sound if someone said that to you? If someone says that to us nowadays, I try really hard not to roll my eyes. Like, I know exactly what God's saying. I know exactly what God's will is. Like, do we ever 100% without a shadow of a doubt what, know what God's will is? Absolute, absolutely not. No human can perfectly know God's will because we are so imperfect. We're so corrupted by sin. We can't know perfectly the Father's will. He's perfect. God is perfect, and we are not. God is God, and we are not. So to claim this is not only to claim perfection, but to be able to claim the, to this claim to do that all that God can do. The Jews listening know very well what Jesus is claiming. They know very well what he is claiming. As it said in the passage, he's claiming equality with the Father. And as if that wasn't enough for them want to kill him, and it was, he has two more four statements that claim deity, that claim who he really is. Keep reading in verse 21 as we get immediately to our third four statement in verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. These are crazy statements that Jesus is making. And this statement introduces one of the biggest themes, if not the biggest theme in the Gospel of John, other than the book was written to know and believe, and that is the, the theme of life, the theme of life. If, if you remember from my first sermon, and I know you do because you all memorized my first sermon um, three months ago, um, I said that the word life is used 32 times in the Gospel of John. 32 times in, in, this, in, in this context, as in brings life, Jesus brings life. The word eternal life is used 17 times. So it's just used constantly throughout John. In fact, John starts his entire gospel with this theme. I think we're going to put it up on the screen, John 1, 1 through 5. I want you to read it with me. Very beginning of the gospel. In the beginning was the Word, capital W Word, Jesus. He speaks for God. He is God. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so that's another major theme that we see in John that we don't have time for today, but that Jesus is light, right? So Jesus brought light in the world to overcome darkness so that we might have what? Life. I don't know who that was, but thank you. Like, so that we might have life. Now, in the Old Testament, only one person, in particular in the Old Testament, only one person has the power to give life, and that was God. Not only as our creator who created all life, but even to give people health or spiritual life or even to bring people back from the dead. Even on a few occasions, God brings people back from the dead, a power that we're going to see Jesus do later with Lazarus, his friend who he raises from the dead. One person 
has the power to give life, and that is God and God alone. And everyone knows that. That's just, that's just common. Yet Jesus is claiming here in his third 4-4 four, four statement, as the Father has the power to give life, the Son can give life to whom he wills. So this is Jesus claiming that he has the power over spiritual life right now and eternal life throughout eternity. Crazy statements. So in verse 21 through 22, in his third four statement, he goes on to say that not only does he have the power over life, but, that, but the Father has given all judgment to the Son. This is the, listen, I, I know we read this and we hear this, but if, if the religious leaders were a cartoon, this is the time when their heads would just absolutely explode. That he's claiming to have judgment. Not only does he give life, spiritual life, eternal life, he's talking about, but he's saying now that he has judgment, who has, who has the power over judgment? God. God alone. God has alone has the ability to determine if we are his children, if we are saved, if we will have eternal life. Yet Jesus is saying, not only do I have authority over life, and not only am I calling myself the son of God, but I have authority over judgment to determine where people are going to spend eternity. No one can claim these things. You can't claim these things. So don't miss this. This is absolutely Jesus claiming to have the power of God. But he's not done. He takes it further. He says, because this is true, you are to honor the Son just as you honor the Father. Again, just for a second, can you imagine if someone said this to you and you didn't believe? Can you imagine if someone tried to say this today? You're to honor me just as you honor God. Well, we, we would throw them out. Right? We wouldn't follow that person. We would think that person was crazy. But he's saying, to, you have to honor me just as you honor the Father. Not only that, you can't honor the Father if you don't honor me. Like, listen, this, what's happening right here, church, these are the kind of statements that Jesus makes that he is forcing us to make a decision. So if you've been coming for, to this church any amount of time or you happen to listen to what I said at the beginning, which, you know, is questionable, but if you happen to be listening, what, why do we exist? What's our mission statement? Glorify God and advance the gospel. We exist to give God glory because he is deserving of glory and him and him alone. Another way of saying that is we, we exist ultimately to honor God above all things. And Jesus just said, not only are you to honor me as you honor the Father, give glory to me as you give glory to the Father, but if you don't, you can't even honor the Father. You can't give proper glory to God. Today, today, what happens if someone like genuinely claims to be God? What do we do? What happens to them? We either heavily medicate them or we lock them up. Or they're, they're living out in the woods by themselves or they're living out as homeless away from, from all other people, right? People run from them. They lock them up. They medicate people that say that they are God because we think that they are crazy or delusional. And so it's kind of this like nice delusion that people in our culture in particular live in when they try to say like, well, you know, I don't believe Jesus is God, but he, I mean, he was a good teacher and he was wise and he was kind and he, and he was loving. So I think he was a good teacher, but I don't think he's God. Listen, can you see right here? Jesus doesn't leave that opening for us. He is either a delusional, crazy person who happens to be a nice guy, but is claiming to be God, and you do not get a pass on that, or he actually is God. Jesus is trying to make it, so you, you have to make a decision. As I said last week, there's only two teams, Jesus' team and not on his team. There's nothing in between. 
And so with statements like this, Jesus is saying, you can't honor the Father. You can't give glory to the Father if you don't give honor and glory to me. That is a crazy statement if it's not true. Now do you see why they wanted to kill him? He just said, I'm God. I have all the authority, all the power. The government is on my shoulders. I have it all. So did Jesus truly come miraculously through the power of the Holy Spirit, born to a virgin, virgin to live a perfect life as the Son of God, or was he a crazy person? That's what's happening right now. Don't miss it. The Jewish leaders had obviously made their decision, didn't they? He was not only crazy, but he was dangerous. He was da- dangerous. No wonder they wanted to kill him. He was claiming to be on par with the Father. But in the midst of all of this, here's when I was reading this, this is what I found so beautiful. Jesus is not only laying out his authority, which he is, but he's laying out the foundation of the gospel. Did you see it? Did you see it within there, how he's laying out the foundation of the gospel? In verse 24, he says that whoever hears this and believes has eternal life. That the believer doesn't doesn't come into judgment, but I love this statement, but has passed. Jesus is in the midst of his ministry, and he's saying, if you believe in these things, that person has passed, not will pass, has passed from death into life. So Jesus is talking about being, so is Jesus talking about being raised from from death to, to, to life now, like spiritual death to spiritual life, or is he talking about on the last day when he brings judgment on all things? Which one's he talking about here? Somebody's going to say it. Yes. Right? The, the answer is yes. It's, it's passages like these where we get this phrase that you've probably heard me say before, that Jesus has brought the already not yet kingdom. Have you heard me say that before? That, that when, G, when Christ came, when he, was, when he was born in that manger, when he came and he taught, when he died on that cross, he brought the kingdom with him. So the kingdom has already come. Absolutely, yes. But has his kingdom come fully to fruition yet? No. Right? That, that will only happen when Jesus Christ returns, when he comes in his second advent, his second arrival, and he makes all things new. So what Jesus is saying here is that if, if you truly believe in me, you will pass, or you have already passed from death into life. This is what Jesus was talking about a few weeks ago, if you were here in chapter 3 when he was talking to Nicodemus, when he's saying, you must be born again right? You must be born as something new. You must be born to a new life. And Nicodemus just could not get it. And these religious leaders just cannot see it. They cannot get it. A woman at the well, an uneducated woman at the well, uneducated fisherman could see it and start to believe in it. But the most educated, the leaders of Israel, the people who are supposed to lead all the people to this, they couldn't see it. They were blind to it. That's why Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? This is why Jesus is so hard on these leaders, because he's saying you should be leading them into eternal life, life in me, life in the Father, but you are leading them into death. And Jesus has no patience for those who are leading his children into death. That's what's happening. He is presenting the keys to the kingdom for them here, but all they can see is what Jesus isn't, what they thought the Messiah should be, how dangerous he is, how dangerous he is. But again, it's not just saying that Jesus can give us life now, right now in him. No, it's, it's more than that. As we said before, look at verse 25. Look at verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. 
And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. In this passage, Jesus uses his fourth four statement claiming deity and it's a big one. He says the hour is coming when the dead will hear my voice not the voice of the Father, but they will heal the voice of the Son of God. And those that hear it will live. And another crazy statement, for the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Listen, Jesus isn't saying, the Father gave me the power of life. He's saying, as the Father has life in himself, the Son also has life in himself. Again, one more time, think about how crazy this would have sounded. Think about how, how controversial this would have been. You think people are dividing now? Can you imagine if you didn't believe in Jesus, him saying things like this to an entire crowd, to the religious leaders? That's why it's shocking that Jesus didn't get stoned or killed earlier than he did. Why didn't he? Because God wasn't going to allow it until the time was right. Right? And so Jesus is claiming these crazy things, again, to have the power over life and death, the power that only God himself himself has in himself. Now, I think he is, in this passage, he is talking about this life. Like he calls people from death into life, right? That's what Jesus Christ said. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, and he calls us out of the grave into new life, resurrection life in him. Yes and amen to that. And it is talking about that, but I think the true life that it's given, the true life it's talking about here is on the last day. Because where all this really comes together, where this whole passage comes together is in verse 27. When it says Jesus has been given all authority over life and death, he's been given all authority over judgment because he is the Son of Man. Now, we've talked about that title a little bit before, the Son of Man. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it today, but I want us to see it once again, because if this is kind of bringing everything to fruition, who Jesus is claiming to be. It comes from a prophecy in the book of Daniel, a prophecy about the Messiah from the prophet Daniel. A prophecy, again, written long before the advent about who the Christ would be. It says this in Daniel 7. Can we get Daniel 7 up there, James? Or Dustin? Hey, Dustin. Daniel 7 says this, And behold... With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. There's the title. And he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Church, with claiming this authority, with claiming the title of Son of Man, Jesus is unequivocally claiming to be their Messiah King, to be the Messiah King, the kingdom that would have no end and would never end, a kingdom that was given through the line of David, prophesied throughout all of their generations, throughout all of ages, that, that he would come ever since David, a kingdom that will rule over nations and languages and all peoples. With the advent, with the coming of Christ, this is what Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God has come and I've brought it with me. And these men can't see it. Not, not at all. The Jewish people can't see it. Even the disciples who are following, who believe in Jesus, don't fully understand this now, and they won't until the cross. The cross where Jesus will literally show us what it means for him to be the king, where he'll show us what it means to be the king of righteousness, the king of justice. 
What does it mean for him to be the king of righteousness and justice? Well, we're all guilty of sin, aren't we? We're all guilty. If you're newer to freshwater, we don't at all pretend like we're perfect people here. Like, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all done the wrong thing. We have all rebelled against the God of the universe. So the only just thing, when I say just, what that means is justice. To to have justice, to do justice. So the only just thing for God to do is hold us guilty for our sin and give us judgment and the penalties of that sin. It's the just thing to do because we all know what we're supposed to do. If there is a God of the universe, we're not confused about the things that he calls us to do. And I'm not going to get all into it today, but I always use the Ten Commandments as an example. You can't pick one commandment that you haven't broken. Not one. And that's, that's supposed to be the easiest mark, right? Just ten rules, and we've all broken them. And we've broken them again and again and again. Because even if you say you haven't killed someone, remember Jesus says, if you have hate in your heart towards someone, you've committed the same sin as murder. If you have lust in your heart, you've committed the same sin of adultery. None of us get a pass on even the most basic things. We are guilty. And the just thing is for us to have punishment. Yet Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the forever King, with his perfect obedience, went to the cross as the perfect sacrifice as the perfect payment for all of that guilt. Justice had to be done, so Jesus was our justice. That's what it means to be the king of justice. He was our justice. It's still even that. He paid our penalty for our guilt. So he washed away the sins that we committed, but we still weren't really righteous before God. So the king of justice became the king of righteousness. And as he went to the cross, not only did he pay for our sins, but he was raised. He was raised from the dead. And in his resurrection life, he showed not only that he had the power over our true enemy, sin and death, but that if we are raised in him, if we are raised with him, because he has life in him, that he will give us his righteousness. He'll cover us with his righteousness so that when we stand before him on the last day, God won't see all the things that we've done wrong. He won't see all of our failure. We'll be covered with the righteousness of Christ and we won't stand on our record. We'll stand on the record of the king of righteousness. This is what Jesus is really saying. These are the things he's laying out, saying he is the son of God with all authority, and he is the son of man, the eternal king. That's what's happening right now. And he's saying, he's not saying, he's saying one day this is all going to come to fruition and we're going to see the dead raised. Literally, that's what, that's what Revelation is teaching us, that literally the dead are going to raise from their tombs. They're going to raise from their graves, literal graves. And all those raised from the dead and those living are going to stand before Jesus and be judged. And some are going to be judged on the record of Jesus Christ and they're going to be welcomed into heaven and they're going to be welcomed into eternal life. And some are going to just simply be judged for their own actions. That's it. That's all that happens on the last day. We're just going to, people are going to be judged for their own actions and they are going to be found guilty and they're going to be condemned to death, eternal death and hell. And as hard as it is for us to wrap our minds around hell and the concept of eternal damnation, that is justice. That is righteousness. Hear me. I know it's hard. That is what is good because God says it's good. God says that's justice and righteousness but not for those who believe, not those who are judged by the justice of their king and by the righteousness of their king. Here Jesus is claiming to be more than just a Messiah. That's what they were looking for. 
They were looking for just a Messiah. They thought, I mean, that, that for them, it would have been amazing to have a, a Messiah come, amazing to have a conquering king come them and lead their way into Israel being amazing. But they were looking for just a Messiah. And Jesus was more than just a Messiah. He was the Son of God. He was the Son of Man who is, in fact, God himself with authority over all. And this king with authority, this son with authority over all is telling them, just come. If you honor me, you will honor the Father and you'll have eternal life. Hey, as the king, this is all I'm requiring of you. Come. Just like in our song, come you heart weary. Come you sinners. Come those who are lost. Come those who don't understand. Come those who don't feel like they have anything left. All you have to do is come for my, my burden is light. Your, your, your burdens are heavy, but my burden is like come to me. And I'll cover you with my righteous. I'll give you justice. And you can stand before your king with confidence. So we come full circle back to Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Government. Authority. It's not talking about literal government. It's about authority shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal, the passion of the Lord will do this. I love that line. The zeal, the passion, the commitment of the Lord will do this. Jesus is that child who was born with that authority, all authority to be laid on his shoulders. He is our mighty God. He is our Prince of Peace. He is the one from the line of the Davidic line with the Davidic kingdom that will have no, no end. He is the one that upholds that kingdom. He upholds everything with his justice, with his righteousness, because he is the king of righteousness. He is the king of justice. And I love it. It was the passion of the Lord to do this. It was the zeal of the Lord to do this, to bring his children to salvation and then give them an inheritance through that son who gives life forevermore. This is what we celebrate at Advent. This is really what we celebrate. This is why we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. This is why we worship church. This is why we're thankful church. This is why we operate in Thanksgiving. This is why we're going to stand in a minute after communion and worship our Lord for for unto us a son is born. Unto us a son is given. The son of man, the son of God. So as we roll into our time of communion and our time of worship, I say, listen to that word. That's what we're supposed to do all day. We sing songs and we call it worship. But communion is worship. This time is worship. These songs are worship. Let's worship God for coming down out of heaven to rescue us, to be our justice, which we couldn't, we couldn't pay, to be our righteousness, which we couldn't accomplish, so that we might come to him and be made whole. We might go from death to life and that we might not have to worry or fear any longer death because he will give us eternal life and that will last into eternity with our king. Come because of his great love for us. Church, celebrate that this Christmas season and then every chance you get, you talk about your king of justice, your king of righteousness, the son that came so that others might know him and might believe and might celebrate with you that the advent happened and it will happen again. Our Savior has come and he's coming back for all those who believe to give him eternal life. Let's worship him, church. Pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, we worship you today. 
What an amazing God you are. What an amazing thing that you have done to come for us and to teach us and to heal us and to show us the way and show us who you are. God, how can you be a God with that much power yet you'll come for your children and be persecuted and hated just like Jesus was hated right here. Jesus, that you would come and be hated and persecuted, even killed on a cross, yet you still came. Born into weakness so that we might see what real strength is. God, if there's anyone in here today that doesn't know you, I pray that this story would call to them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would woo them, call them to your kingdom so they might believe in faith and be saved. And we might celebrate them going from death to life, from eternal hell and damnation to eternal life in heaven with you, our King. God, don't let them go today. But help them to see the truth of who you are. And for the rest of us in here today, I pray that we would be encouraged, that we want to worship, that we'd live in thankfulness for the amazing things that you have done for us, Jesus, because you are the Son of God. You are the Son of Man. You are our King. And so help us to worship you as our King. So God, as we roll into our time of communion, God, draw our hearts to you and remember that we do all of these things for your glory. But one of the greatest things that gives you glory is when a sinner repents and finds life in you. And so today, God, as we do communion, help us to find and be reminded of our life in you. Thank you, Jesus. Jeremy, pray. Amen. We're, while we're preparing for communion, if you need to pray, I'm going to go over and stand for a minute. Brandon's going to walk us through communion. But if you need to pray, you need to talk about anything, you need to talk about giving your life to Christ, then I'll take communion. You can take communion with my family today if this is the day you've given your life to Jesus Christ. But I'll be over there if you want to pray. Otherwise, Brandon's going to walk us through communion today. Churches, we come to a time to observe the Lord's table. There's some things that uh, I would very much like to draw your attention to and call you to remember and to celebrate that this is something that the Lord uh, Christ instituted for his church, for us. Some things to be mindful of during this time uh, as uh, is oftentimes uh, uh, illustrated, articulated from this stage. Remember that Christ died uh, for the sake of our sin and that he pledged his undying love to his church, his bride, again, that being us. That we have union with him through this, this act that we are about to partake in. Not only that, but that it is also, a, it is a seal of, of his grace towards us. This isn't just a time to remember Jesus. Yes, it absolutely is that, but it's also a time to see his grace active in the, the, the partaking of these elements, <clears throat> that he renews us, that he, he empowers us, equips us to, to obey his commands, to follow after him. And to, rem to be reminded that uh, his presence is very much with us in this act. And the, the, this is also, and lastly, a, a pledge of his coming again. Church, we don't worship a a Jesus who is, who is dead and buried in the grave. We worship a Christ, a Savior, who is seated at the right hand of God, seated in all power and all authority, and he is coming again, just as JT shared. His first advent was coming as a poor and lowly child, but he will return again as Savior and, and conqueror of the world. So as we take of the Lord's table, I, I would ask you, um, if you haven't 
been sealed by the blood of Christ, if you, if you can't say with confidence that you are uh, a child of the King, then I would ask you respectfully, just please um, don't come and partake of these elements. There's nothing especially um, significant about them. It is what they, what they represent, but, but if you aren't in Christ, then I'd ask you just very respectfully, very politely, not to embarrass you. Just, just stay where you are in your seats. Don't come and take of this. This is a very sacred and serious thing that we do. It is meant specifically for the church, those who are in Christ. For those of us who are, are of Christ, but maybe, I, and I, I don't know your life, but maybe you're in a place where you, you have um, uh, an issue, or I, I hate to say grudge, but, but, but you have something that isn't reconciled with another. I'd ask you to do one of two things, or any unconfessed sin in your life, one of two things. Abstain from taking today, and, and just go to the Lord in prayer, and, and do that work with Him. If you have uh, a struggle with another, then uh, an unconfessed sin, go to that individual and, and confess that sin so that we can come and, 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 and partake of this in, in a worthy manner. The two elements that we have are the, the bread and the juice. You probably know this, but the bread is, is a symbol of, of the body of Christ that was subjected to, to pain and to punishment for our behalf. And the juice symbolizes the blood of Christ that was shed for the remission of our sins. It, it washes over us and it makes us white as snow, without sin, without blemish. So just be mindful of all of these things today. And then as we frequently do, I'll, I'll ask you come in just a moment and grab these elements. After you've spent time in prayer or confession, repentance, come and grab these elements and then, and then take them back to your seats and spend time with family or friends, just discussing these elements, explain them to your children, pray, with one another, pray over these elements, which I'm about to do as well. Take the time to explain to your children, if you must, why they can't partake of these elements yet if they're not in Christ. These are learning experiences. These are worshipful moments. So please just be mindful of all of these things. So just let me pray. I ask you to bow your head, close your eyes. Let me pray, and then when you're ready, come up. And, and gather these elements and take them back to your seats. Great God in heaven, we, we bow our heads and come to you now in humility because Christ bowed his head and, and gave up his spirit for us. Help us to come now in reverence, respect, and awe of our Savior that we don't make light of this event that we don't partake of this in a flippant manner, but that we would be considerate. The person of Christ and his words and his teaching, the sacrifice of our Savior upon the cross. I ask that you fill us now with your Holy Spirit and that we could worship you through this act that we're about to partake of. That you would be honored in all that is done through this act. We love you and we thank you. And we joyfully pray all of this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
let's continue um, in reverence and worship. We're going to go ahead and um, sing a Christmas song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and it's all about Christ coming and saving us and bringing us to a fuller likeness of what God wants for us. And if you uh, want to continue to pray with your family during this communion time, please do so. And whenever you feel ready, just join in and praise to God. Hold me 
fuss I could never keep my hold Through life's fearful path For my love is often cold He must hold me fast He will hold me fast He will hold me fast For my Savior loves me so He will hold me fast Those He saves are His delight Christ will hold me fast, precious in his holy sight. He will hold me fast, he'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last, but by him I search a cause. Hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died Christ will hold me first Justice has been satisfied He will hold me fast Raised with him to endless life He will hold me fast Till our faith is turned to sight When he comes at last He will hold me fast He will hold me fast For my Savior loves me so He will hold me fast hold me fast he will hold me fast for my savior loves me so he will hold me fast he will hold me fast he will hold me fast for my savior loves me so for today thank you that you sent your son fully God fully man to save us from ourselves and our sinful nature Lord you have redeemed us you've made us new 
making us new. We thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, church, have just a real quick seat. I'm going to share with you some announcements uh, just before we leave. All of these announcements and more information about our church, if you so desire to know, is on the church's website, freshwatersgf.com. You can go there. You can find out all the information, life groups, discipleship, um, leadership, doctrine. All of those things are there, as well as events. A couple of events that I want to make you aware of that are coming up. One's already been mentioned, and that is the, the first one being Cookies and Cocoa. It is December the 18th, next Saturday at 5 o'clock. That's when the actual event starts. If you are signed up uh, to, to volunteer or to serve, uh, you may need to be there at an earlier time. But I trust that you know that already if you're signed up. For those who aren't signed up, I want to encourage you to do so. Uh, and I want to tell you exactly what positions are still vacant that you could serve in. We need one more greeter, so if you are of the greeting type, if you just have that face, unlike mine, and you want to meet people at the door, then I would encourage you to sign up and do that. <clears throat> Super easy, especially if you like to talk to people. If you don't like to talk to people, you might need to do it anyways, so think about it. Uh, ushers, we need two more ushers, and uh, I can't tell you exactly what that means. I'm, I'm scrolling through this. Um, All right. Okay. Keeping, uh, keeping kids where they need to be. Um, I mean, not your guys' kids. Nobody's kids here wander off or go places they shouldn't, but other people's kids do. Uh, we need um, one more food pickup. So if you can pick up food and, uh, and serve in that way. And then the biggest one that we have is, is food servers. And that's just giving people food. We need five more food servers. So if you can do that, if you want to do that, I encourage you. Uh, go to the website, go to the app. Um, all of those things are there. You can sign up there. And then we need one more person for transportation, one more person to be able to drive vehicles to pick up people. Um, again, all of those things are on the website. They're on the app. You can register there. And then the second one is uh, something that I know several of you need to hear or, or may want to hear, uh, and that is baby dedications, which is going to be on Sunday, January the 23rd. Um, the reason I know you need to hear that is because I know how many babies we have in this church and only one family has signed up so far. So um, I'm about dropped my phone. Um, so the reason that's important is because um, we don't just like, you know, show up that Sunday like, oh, yeah, you want to dedicate your baby? Sure, no problem. We want to be prepared for that. We have a gift for you. So if you want to do uh, the baby dedication, then I would encourage you to go to the, the website or the app. Um, it is under events on the app. All you have to do is hit it, and then you can register. You fill out your name, your child's name, birth date, those types of things, uh, and that will be on January the 23rd. Those are really the only two things that we have coming up, so I don't have to overwhelm you with a lot of information this morning. If you want to give of your tithes or offering, there's a black box back by the stairs. You can drop it in there, or you can give on the website, on the app, um, pretty easily. Um... I think that's it. So I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to pray over us as we leave and go back out into the world. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Um, we just give you thanks for that because, Lord, it, it, is, it is given to us just out of your, your love and, and your good uh, will desire to do so. Um, 
we give you praise, God, and, and, and just thank you so much for the opportunities that we've had here today just to worship you through the reading of your word, through prayer, through the preaching of your word, through singing of songs of praise unto you, Lord, and uh, through taking of communion. Help our lives be one of, of praise and worship unto you that we would honor you in all that we say and do as we go out these doors back into the world. Uh, help us to be ambassadors for Christ, to be the spokespersons of Jesus, Lord. Uh, we love you and we thank you. And uh, Lord, until we are able to gather back together again and worship you in this way, I pray that you would just you would um, keep us uh, just tightly held together as, as, as one body um, that desires to worship you together, Lord, made up of many parts. Um, Lord, what a beautiful picture of the gospel at work in our lives. Uh, so we just again say we love you. We thank you. We give you praise. I'm so grateful for this church, Lord. Just continue to bless us and grow us in uh, the name of your, your son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, church. Have a great week.